Hi, and thank you for tuning in. You know, I don't know anybody doesn't have a hard time understanding what leadership is about. It has changed in the 21st century. And because it has changed, you know, there's not a lot of information out there that pulls it all together so that you have the steps you need to be the best leader that you can. Leadership is all about influence. And this podcast is about helping you understand how to influence others and to build the collaborative team that provides you the inclusive, high-performing workplace that you are looking for. Whether this is the first job you've had as a leader, whether you're an individual contributor, or you've been in leadership for 30 years, there is something for you on this particular podcast. It's called Remarkable Leadership Lessons, shared by Denise Cooper and her friends. And if you like, you can always go over to my website and pick up other gems that will help you become a remarkable leader. Have you ever had the opportunity to work with somebody who's really different than you? Their communication style is different. The way they think is different. Um, And it's sometimes very challenging for you. Sometimes it's even offensive. And And you get the feeling that this person either doesn't know or simply doesn't care about the impact of their words on how problems are defined on how we engage other in pe- people, how they even show respect to you and your peers. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today, is the impact of our communication and our thinking, not from a perspective of who owns it or not, although we pro- I promise you we'll probably talk on that one, but certainly how can we do better now that we have so much de- decades, actually, of research that tells us how we can do better. And you know what my Angelo said, if we know better, do better. That's today. And my guest is Pamela Brooks Richard. My compadre, hey Pam. Hey Denise, isn't it a wonderful day? I'm excited. It is a beautiful day. I absolutely love it. And I'm loving this topic of how to work with anyone. So, um, let me give you a little bit of background on Pam. If it's the first time you've pulled us pulled us up on this particular podcast, know that she has been with me for about a year and almost a half now, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of podcasts out here where the two of us are chit-chatting, but let me help you out. Pam is known for her passion for people and facilitating positive change for anyone in need with an open mind. Notice the final sentence, open mind. She's been an executive coach, and she's been helping people discover their strengths to make life transformations. She's currently um, trained uh, in several processes, including she's a certified facilitator for running conversational intelligence by Judith Glazier, as well as Dare to Lead, which is a program offered through the Brene Brown LLC, I believe it is. Um, She's also the person at Arizona State University who is leading their leadership development program. And she wrote it, she's now teaching it, and she's got graduates that go all over the place. (laughs) So what's happening with you today? Oh, man, that's telling you, it's been one of those weeks. It's a good topic. I've had toxic positivity come up. How do you deal with someone that's throwing it out at you? Um, how do you deal with gaslighting? Oh, that's kind of on that same side of how do you deal with the difficult person? I mean, it's the things that they're saying to you, which come across and impact you. And then 
how do you respond? How do you, how do you get into dealing with some of those? Okay. So what are we talking about here when you say toxic positivity and, you know, all of these um, fancy psychological and marketing words here? Oh, absolutely. So <laughs> let's put it in perspective. Group, very stressed out, had been working long hours. We're talking almost six, seven days a week, 10 plus in the heat. So mm-hmm. emotions, fatigue is running high. And leadership is trying to say, hey, let's be positive. And the people are like, I'm exhausted. No, 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 no. You got to be positive. So toxic positivity is when you don't listen or acknowledge a person who is having issues. It's like Mm -hmm. denying them the ability to say, I'm feeling X, be it tired, uh, overwhelmed, you name it. And so that kind of talk, like be positive, like you can't be negative, be positive is a form of gaslighting in itself. And gaslighting is where you make somebody feel less than by the statements you make. Like they're, they're basically kind of a put down in the way that they're made. Mm-hmm. And in this case, the person's like, I've, I've never seen this. And on the one hand, I can see the leaders trying to help the other people in charge to be positive, because if you're positive, it carries positive to everybody. Mm-hmm. But when it reaches the point that someone can't even express, God, I'm exhausted right now. And, and to just let it out mm-hmm. and without somebody going, mm-mm, mm-mm, it was like the person just imploded on themselves. And what I found in the research on top of this, which was really interesting, is that toxic positivity leads to an increase in imposter syndrome. Another one of those great words, what's imposter syndrome, which I really don't like the syndrome, but that's where your dialogue in your head says that you're less than, you're Mm -hmm. not good enough, Mm -hmm. and creates a shame spiral. Mm -hmm. So this idea that we need to be positive is, you know, part of psychology, there's this plus side to it. But when we go to the point of denying the person to be able to express and acknowledge what a person's feeling, now we're shutting them down and we're turning them inward. And Mm -hmm. that creates that internal judgment, which just eats at a person's soul. Yeah. So it's, they're happy and I'm not, or I'm there. They don't seem to be burned out. They're taking it on and I don't, I must be doing something wrong versus no, the situation is intolerable. It is too much. We should be burnt out. If you're handling it better than me, doesn't make me bad. Exactly. And so here's that part where, you know, if you're dealing with something like that as an individual, you've got to have the grounded confidence to go, I know who I am. I know where I'm at and it's okay to feel. Mm-hmm. And that's where I got pulled in to be able to say, Hey, um, how does a person deal with this? How do they stand up to this? How do they recognize it? And it, it it's not easy. And it's, mm-hmm. it's even helping that person that's, you know, the leader going, oh, we got to be positive. We got to be positive to help them to step down from that just constant inertia of what they feel like they have to do to go, oh, you need to take a breath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You need to take a breath. Mm-hmm. And to wade through their emotional aftermath of them feeling like they're being attacked Mm-hmm. To the point that it's like, no, it's not about you. It's not about you doing anything. It's about the fact that we now have to all come down from our, our emotional hijack, our overstress load, and just go, whew, this has been exhausting. And yeah. have a little compassion for ourselves and a little compassion for other people. And then have that regroup that says, okay, we survived. But next time, what are we going to do different? 
right? Or either or take it as a call for help and stop yeah. in the middle and say, okay, take five. What we, what what is it that we're going to put into place so that we don't end up in the same place next time? Yeah, interesting. So if there's a skill that I hear you talking about is it's whoever is. Um, overwhelmed or having a hard time at the situation, it's really calling a timeout with that person and saying, what do you need? I need, I, and even if they don't know what they need, it's a fact that asking, let's, let's take a deep breath, think about it. What do you need? And of course, probably one of the first things they're going to say is, I just need to not have to do this anymore. When is it going to end? Or I need to make sure I get a break, whatever. And I'm, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard because I know even reading the news today, there's a lot of organizations right now, especially on the lower tiers that are understaffed. So the mm-hmm. people that are there are getting worked twice as hard mm-hmm. and they're reaching that burnout phase. And how do we acknowledge them and still give them space knowing that there's work not being done? And what, and helping them decide what work doesn't get done because exactly. as leaders, you're the one who's supposed to make sure that the priorities are being worked. Not everything is supposed to be working. You know, I think that causes more consternation as um, managers who are not helping to identify what are the priorities of things that have to get done versus everything is a priority and you got to try and do everything, which is humanly impossible. It's the great challenge now. And because leaders don't want to directly face it themselves, their workers are getting even more burnt, more frustrated, more whatever, because we're not having that open dialogue about the reality of what's happening and at least coming up with what's our priority to move forward so that we're doing the best we can with what we have. It's interesting because I think, you know, you and I have had conversations about the traditional way leaders are, are taught, you know, in programs and that's to be stoic to always have the answers, to put those emotions aside, those things like that, to we've actually, we're now actually in a different phase of how things, how work gets done. Um, And it's, you have to have leaders who are going to call out or be able to listen to um, what's not working and be able to not take it personally to have a difference in it, but, or, and I can hear some people rattling off so why is this important? You know, why can't people just manage their own stuff? I get that it's hard on them, but it's hard on me too. So why should I care about this? Why should I understand it? And why should I even think about respecting someone who's obviously can't work as hard as I can? Ooh, there's that ultimate thing. Do we feel that people are doing the best that they can? Mm-hmm. And I know that comes out of Brene Brown's training, and it's one that is interesting to hear. Mm-hmm. If we take the perspective that people are doing the best that they can, it's probably because we're judgmental of ourselves mm-hmm. and we don't feel that we're always doing the best that we can. And so how do I give an inch for somebody else when I can't give it for myself? And so sometimes mm-hmm. that starts with you. Where am I vulnerable? Where am I having my own issues? Because I'll throw my wall up so that you don't see my weakness. And I think in our work world today, especially in some of the younger generations, they're pretty savvy to the fact that we're all human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they might not know how to work through their problems, but at the same token, we have to help them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a charge now on organizations is to provide the training so that this new generation coming in can also find ways to work through what they're dealing with. 
And so it takes a leader to be vulnerable to, to do the work with themselves and to realize that if I'm in a situation and I assume, oh, they're not doing the best they can. What's your solution then? Throw more information at them, whack them upside the head or tell them they got to do a better job or, you know, or fire them, but you don't have enough people. So you keep them anyway. Mm-hmm. Or do we take the approach that they're doing the best they can? And if that's the best they can, what is it that they're lacking? What support do they need? What is it that they themselves recognize that they could do? Because there's a difference between thinking that people aren't doing their best they can and raising standards. If, if I go, man, as an organization, we're going to need to take a leap in skills or something in order to stay competitive. Awesome. Mm-hmm. We can put what that looks like, but it's up to each individual to go, I want to raise my standard to that. Right. And that's a different question than just going, get her done. That's mm-hmm. like, hey, what can I do to help you get to that next level? Is it something you want to do? Is it where you want to be? What do you think is the gap that you need to cross in order to get to that next level? And those are different discussions then. Yeah, you know, it it reminds me of a conversation we've had earlier or previously about the the places where I feel that I do I don't do my best work are always in places where the leader is not um, able to see the impact that they have in terms of how they think about the work, what priorities they set, or even their own skill set. Because what I run into in my client base are, are people who have been promoted into a leadership position, but not always trained well. Um, to be able to manage it. And so they they have old habits or old beliefs that are just kind of lingering around about the, you got to be positive, you have to be inspirational, you have to be, which are not um, necessarily helpful in today's workplace. It is, it's a transition. And it's the same thing, you know, we've talked about several times where we're seeing this generation that are retiring, mm-hmm. some of them going into retirement faster because there's I'm tired of dealing with all this stuff. I'm just going to get out. And they didn't pass on their knowledge or skill sets that they did have to the mm-hmm. next generation. And so we're getting a lot of new first-time managers, mm-hmm. other people into positions without the training. And as we mm-hmm. both know from our, our research, those are skill sets. They're mm-hmm. not something somebody's born with. And until people are taught, they don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. And that has a tremendous impact then on the second group. And if you put somebody in a position and hope they just figure it out on their own. <laughs> mm-hmm. How many mistakes are they going to make? Right. Um, how, how much, many- how much, you know, it's like putting a bowl in a China shop and having meat at the end saying, okay, get here the best way you can. And there's going to be a lot of collateral damage. There is. And the question is, do you want, how do you, how do you evaluate collateral damage? Interesting question. Yeah. Well, there's some places that, you know, I always tell people, you know, HR folks, um, the line doesn't care about turnover because it's already built into the cost of the products. The effort may not be, but certainly the cost of turnover, it's already built into the product pricing. Yeah, but it goes just beyond what is the cost of the turnover because there's how much does it cost to staff? How much does it get to bring them up to speed? And, in you know, and in some of the simplistic type mass production things. I even saw one that was a nonprofit. I thought it was fabulous. They will hire anybody that steps through the door. 
mm-hmm. and work it. They produce food and they hire homeless. They don't care. They'll bring anybody in the door and they have little cards for each place in the work. And it basically says, if you come and you do your work, you can come back tomorrow. If you come in, you don't do your work. Don't come back tomorrow. Like there's an agreement contract that they make and they make it so simple that you can do that. But not a lot of organizations have that kind of simple productivity that it comes down to, here's your card, do it. And so in the complex where we have to pass a skill set or we need to know something that's really important, then you're starting to deal with a lot more. And even though in this great technology age, it still comes down to people talking to people, people working with people. And when there's friction, work doesn't get done. And bottom line, if you're in any kind of service organization or you have something that you're distributing to people, now how your people are impacts your customers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just whatever happens in the organization, but it's the impact that that's having even outside the organization. It's the Mm -hmm. impact that it's having on communities when people Mm -hmm. come home from an organization. Mm -hmm. What's that old saying about happy employees, um, happy customers? Yes. Isn't it interesting? One of the things that we're, we're really talking about is how to get along with anyone. I'm recommending out here that um, get a copy of my book, Remarkable Leadership Lessons, Change Results One Conversation at a Time. In it, you'll find multiple stories of how a, one conversations or a series of conversations have not only changed the results, but they've changed the ability for people to work together. If you want to get a copy of it, um, you can go to Amazon and look it up, or you can go to Denise Cooper on Amazon.com and you'll get your copy there. Okay, so, okay, I kind of got that maybe I should pay attention to this if I'm listening to this and I'm, you know, it's, it's not even about being an executive or a leader in the organization. It's This applies to anybody, regardless of what level you're working at or what industry or whether you have your own business or you go someplace else. If, if how I communicate with people, if how some of this stuff of being gung-ho and as well as being just not setting out what the vision is, because you say, I, I, I say you can judge a manager by how well they set the vision, what does done look like in Brene's terms, um, how well are they managing resources, time, attention, as well as work product and the emotions of people. So there's four things under that. And then follow up and ensure and follow through. If I can rate you on those four things, then I can tell you how how good a manager you are and almost predict how much employee engagement should you have. But now I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute. All of this is about how I communicate with them. And you don't understand. I got all kinds of different people. They're coming in. They're different skill sets. How do I learn? And why should I care about adjusting my communication style to match theirs? I'll just, you know, they just don't have it is what I've heard. Well, there's a couple of different things. You know, on the one hand, I know we've both worked with assessments, the DISC, some people call mm-hmm. predictive index, whatever that is, where we get to know ourselves with a language of understanding, because that's what I would call DISC. Mm-hmm. And it is as simple as going, am I fast paced or slow paced in my approach to things? If I'm fast paced and the other one's slow paced, I need to slow down. I need to make sure they get what they need and then make sure that they're ready to make the decision. If I'm fast paced and I throw it at them and they don't pick up on it, shame on me because I need to do what I need to do to prepare them based on what they're like. And I'll tell you that the ones that supposedly are slower paced, 
Mm-hmm. They're the most efficient once they know their job. Got to know that, that even though I do it fast, someone else might be more efficient. So understanding that part of the, the continuum. The other thing that we have to understand in terms of that continuum is whether we're task oriented mm-hmm. or people oriented. And mm-hmm. that is a huge one. Because if I'm the people person and they're a task person and I want to build relationship, I'm going to push them away. I'm, mm-hmm. They're, they're going to clam up on me. They're not, they, they like, just, I need to know what I need to know. And so I need to know to approach that person different. I need to build the rapport. I need to make sure that they have the information that they need and, and ask about the task stuff and build that part of it in. And then the hopefully also builds relationship, but be careful not to overstep boundaries. You know, or vice versa. If I'm not the people-oriented person, I'm the task person, and I run into a people person and go, task, task, task. But what about me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Want mm-hmm. that moment of connection. And people think, oh God, that's just a waste of time. It comes down to six to eleven seconds of making mm-hmm. a connection with somebody before jumping into task to make a difference. It, it's not that much. And so understanding some of those basics of people, and I would tell anybody just to jump in and and as an individual, take one of these assessments to get to know themselves as teams to do it. It is one of the greatest ways to open communication. I know you've done it. I just did ran one yesterday and it was wonderful because these people all left and felt empowered to talk about themselves. To me, when I run one of those, I tell people, you know what, when you get to that last page about how to communicate with me and how not to, those are boundaries. As right. That's the, one of the pinnacle things, like the bookends of trust, like, yeah. so that I can learn to talk about myself. And that empowers you then in these situations to go, wow, I, I can actually say this. This is this is this makes sense to me. And now I can ask people to treat me in certain ways. So it's empowering to do it, not only to find out about others, but what can I find out about myself so I can better get myself into situations and tell people what's important to me. Right. 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 Yes, absolutely. So the other thing, yeah, and you know, the other thing is, is I, you know, I live in the South, you're still up in the North somewhere and uh, <laughs> moving around and sometimes over in China and Hong Kong and all these other places. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I know that here in the South and in general is, is that people are very polite. You know, they, they don't tell you where, what they're feeling. And I think it is important when we ask the question, why should you worry about it? It really is when that person is not feeling that you're connecting to them, whether, you know, say they high, they're high on socialism, socialization, not socialism, but socialization and relationships, and they want a friendly environment. But you're meeting, you're talking to someone who only cares about the task, and they want fast decisions, they, they push the envelope as far as they can't they can out of this but they really are about a challenging and focused on the task did it get done and repetitive on that it causes people to go into their um, internal mechanism their thinking their mindset and then we ask the question what is triggered by that so if i'm a really high social person high on the, the disc whatnot, then what I'm worried about is, is losing control and loss of face and loss of approval by you. And when you only focus on the task and you don't care about me, then I think that I'm not important. I'm not relevant. And the person who is high on, you know, just getting the job done or the task, that's not what they're signaling, but certainly that's what be somebody's thinking and feeling behind the scenes. And so you, you said it, 10 seconds of connecting first 
changes the way their brain goes. And I, I challenge anybody right now, even as you've been listening to this fabulous podcast, how many other thoughts popped in your mind when you were listening? How many times Three, did you 14 just... seconds, people check out. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. You know, so if if you're checking out every 14 to 15 seconds, when you hit someone in a way that doesn't get them to calm down and to focus on you because they feel like they're being left out or taken advantage or you or they're they have a high perfectionist need and they need to know that they did it right. So they're always listening from an ear of criticism. Uh, do you think they're actually hearing you? Not like maybe listening. But do they hear? And hearing is shared understanding, shared meaning, shared set of expectations. Do you think that's happening? I was talking with a consulting friend of mine this week who's working with a company. And he said, I sat in a meeting, leadership team, like Mm -hmm. all the top people in the leadership team, CEOs talking. He said, they were so disconnected that no one was listening to the CEO and he's ranting about something, and everything else. And he said, I had to put a new thing into play. And he said, every 30 seconds, I stop and go, what did you hear? Mm. So if somebody's talking, he literally stops and goes, what did you hear? What did you hear? How? To, to get people to check in with what are they taking away? Because they're trying to develop a new product and do uh-huh. always listening to each other, really listening to what's being said. They're all in their head, doing their own thing, running at hundred miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And they're literally just throwing shit at each other. Like nothing's yeah. sticking, nothing's building. And so he had to literally go back to every 30 seconds. What did you just hear him say? Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? Mm-hmm. And I was like, simple skill set to ask. Mm-hmm. And yet how many times do we stop to go? What I think I hear you saying, Denise, is mm-hmm. to clarify. Simple skill, easy to do but we don't want to take time to do that either. I, I love that. That's that's an excellent exercise in just thinking through and or doing it as a ground rule um, for how we work together. And here's, here's one of the things I'll add to that is if you've got a, a leader who just talks and they talk about what happened and why it broke all the time, at some point, you got to ask the question of, so what is it that we're trying to achieve here? You know, is this a post-mortem and we're to take the lessons down and move forward? Or is this you criticizing us because we missed the mark? What does that mean? I got a new book by Michael Bungay Stainer. If you've heard of this one, it says how to mm-hmm. work with almost anyone. This is new. That's the new one that just dropped, isn't it? Yep. It's the newest one just dropped. I'm always trying to get the new stuff because it's always- <laughs> stuff into my, I mean, it's sometimes the same thing you've been using, yep. but get it a different way. And somehow mm-hmm. it's like that it's something that will catch with people. And I've always loved him because he has a high sense of humor. Yes. Yes. You can't help but just kind of laugh and go, oh yeah. Yeah. Like when he talks about his advice monsters and stuff, you can't help but laugh. Yeah. But in it, it's as simple as saying there are five questions to get along with almost anyone. So I'm just going to read these really quick. Obviously, it goes into more detail. He even talks about how to maintain and to rebuild because we're human. We're going to have problems and sometimes we have to repair. But the first one is what he calls amplify. And this is awesome. So I think about leaders going in and say, what's your best? And instead of assuming you know the best of an employee, 
an employee may not even know their bus, but to ask him, what's your best? And here's a great way to check in. Cause I know as an athlete, I might've said, this was my best. And I had a coach that said, really, I've seen this. And I think you've got the capability of it. So it's not saying, oh, you should be, or this mm-hmm. is where you should, not mm-hmm. that, but that sincere part of connecting with where a person says that they're, this is my best and going really, God, I think you have so much more potential. That is such a different approach. Mm-hmm. And it creates that excitement and saying, oh, maybe I can do better. Ooh, okay. Mm-hmm. That thought. Let's open it up. The second question is the steady question. What are your practices and preferences? So this might be in terms of how you want to do your work. It might be in terms of how you want to be communicated to or your ideal work environment. You can tailor that to anything. But it's an opportunity. And I think this is great because people sometimes, especially like running disc class, they don't think about what they want. They don't yeah. think about the preference. We know what we don't want. We yeah. know what we don't like, but we don't talk about the affirmative. Yeah. And so again, it's causing the change in thinking and it's going, oh, what do I want? Yeah, mm-hmm. well, this might be good. And it's at least pushing the thinking into a positive direction. Mm-hmm. Person to engage in what do they want? So uh, third question is what he called the good date question. <laughs> he says, what can you learn from successful past relationships? And I think this is really cool and always usually a good interview question too. Is like, can you tell me about a boss that you had that was really awesome? What did they do? How did they help you? So that you can think back to that positive example of something in your world that worked instead of what didn't work, but this one's coming from the positive side. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth question is the bad day question. And it says, what can we learn from frustrating past relationships? And so then it's like, hey, then you might even go boss, coworker, whatever. Give me an example of a relationship that didn't work for you and why. Mm-hmm. Because that's going to indicate those things that maybe need to be done better in order to build a better relationship. Again, mm-hmm. it creates just a level of discussion that most people don't have. And then the last question, which to me, in all of the work that I've seen, Brene Brown's trust, you name it, is the repair question. How will we fix things when they go wrong? And this is where we have so much issue in organizations today because I worked with you. You might've let me down. Something didn't happen, or maybe I covered for you. And instead of repairing the aspect of that relationship, mm-hmm. that was like, how do you let me down? Or man, this project didn't go well. What are we going to do different? We just right. let it go. And then the next time I'm on a project with you, chip on shoulder. I remember the last one. Yes. I know this is going to be bad going into the next one. And so we never do the little repair. This is why married relationships go bad. This is why any relationships, we don't repair. Gottman yes. in his work says that repair is one of the most essential things. And mm-hmm. repair strengthens relationships. Mm-hmm. When we can have that question of how are we going to fix things when they go wrong, we will start to build better rapport. See, and so everybody, see what you walked away with. You thought you were just going to get a nice little earful of Juicy little nuggets. You got a bunch of nuggets coming in here. Well, Pam, unfortunately, we hit the top of the hour here and it is time to say, what's the thing that you want people to take away with? What's the question you can ask today to Mm. make a difference in one relationship? Mm. Oh, that's a good one. Y'all need to tweet that sucker. Oh, I guess it's not (laughs) tweeting anymore. That's exit. You need to exit. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. You know, we'll be here every Thursday having a conversation 
that I promise you will get you from where you are now to where you want to be so that you can live the remarkable life that you are due, owed, and deserve. With that, see ya. Well, as I said before, this is a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for following me. And if you really, really want to make things better and help me get the word out, please go like this wherever you're listening to your podcast. Follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. All of that's in the show notes. And for doing that, go to my website and click on the uh, network and you'll be able to get some free gifts that will help you figure out how to be the best leader that you can be. As I always say, if you like it, share it. If you don't like it, share it, because I guarantee it will definitely help you become the most remarkable leader you can be.